five, four, three, two, one. And we are a go. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Bronze Compass Podcast. This is a show where we'll be looking into the past in order to try to understand the present in hopes of changing the future. We will be going through subjects of all kinds with a desire to understand the big picture and understanding the puzzle that is our existence. Why am I doing this? Because it's cheaper than therapy. This is the Bronze Podcast. You are you and I am Matthew. So today, this week, however else we're going to do this, (laughs) we're going to be looking at um, thing that is on everybody's mind and has been on everybody's mind for the last oh year more uh, it's since say March you've probably been looking at it for the last seven eight months and that is the coronavirus now I'm not looking at the coronavirus itself for the most part what I'm looking at is I'm looking at what is our uh, relationship Uh, to each other, what is our relationship to the coronavirus, what is our relationship to pandemics, right? Because that's what uh, everybody is saying we're in. They are all saying um, the press, um, most press, most doctors, most um, people, they're all looking at this as a pandemic. Um, Now, what is a pandemic? What is, you know, a plague? How is this... um, uh, looking at in looking at a pandemic what, what are we actually talking about what, what's the definition of a pandemic how do we know we're going this so a pandemic is when talking about a disease is a disease that is prevalent over a whole country or the entire world um, now that means almost anything can be a pandemic AIDS HIV that would be a pandemic, the flu, um, the cold, uh, herpes. I mean, everything that is even semi-known or known would be a pandemic. Now, that wouldn't include things like Ebola. Ebola is not prevalent over the whole country, over the whole world. And right now we are in a world pandemic, considering that they consider it a pandemic as worldwide cases... Um, are through the roof. I wouldn't say through the roof. They're they're pretty big, right? But they're nothing compared to what has happened before. And that's what this podcast is all about. What has happened before? What was done back then? And when I mean before, I'm bef- I'm talking about before today. Now, this could be as short ago as like say ten years, five years maybe, right? Or we could go back as far as 5,000 years, right? So 5,000 years, did they have pandemics? Did they have plagues? What was going on 5,000 years ago? So we're going to take a look at that. Excuse me. So first thing we're going to do is I've looked it up and I decided to use a source that is easily accessible to everybody who has an internet connection. And if you look up um, pandemics or the worst pandemics or um, um, plagues plagues is a really good one pa- plagues throughout history right you'll come upon a, a very good article in live science or on livescience.com written by Owen Jerris um, life science uh, contributor um, and he uh, 
um, assuming Owen's the is uh, a male name here, he outwrites twenty of the worst epidemics and plagues. Now, this is something good to go through. Now, I don't know for sure if these are the 20 worst. I haven't gone through all the 20 worst, but I do know there are several um, that are out there in history that he does not touch on. And so I'll touch on them. Oh, maybe one, two extra ones, just so that people understand what we are looking at here, right? The coronavirus is not unique to the human experience. It is something that is, oh, a footnote, maybe. Um, and if you were to look at, say, a per capita basis of, of contraction and death, that type of thing, destruction of economy, things of that nature, I don't know if it's even hitting top 20. Um, something that... that has, this has brought a lot of people to, is the idea of the end of the world, right? Oh my gosh, the pandemic. You see it in memes everywhere. You see it in podcasts and, and um, YouTube videos and, and all sorts of media where what we have is the end of the world. This is the beginning of the end. Or maybe we're in the middle of the end. Anyway, it's the end. And that's what they think. Or that's what they're saying. And you got to realize... Anything of a significant event will make the people of the time feel like it's the end. Right? I think about World War II. World War II, there were 12 million U.S. soldiers that were drafted and put into service. Over 12 million. I mean, that's six, seven, eight, nine times bigger than what we've had in the past five, ten years. Right? And you look at the numbers of deaths in World War II, just from everything going on, military, militarily speaking, you had around 25 million deaths in uh, Russia, depending upon the sources, of course, but in the Soviet Union, um, 25 million. You had, what, 5 to 10 million uh, military deaths in Germany, about a couple hundred thousand from... France, about the same from Britain, almost half a million from America, right? You're, you haven't even hit 40 million yet. You add in civilians, and it can jump anywhere between um, 60 and 160 million, depending upon whose numbers you're talking about, and China and Japan and the conflict in the Pacific as well. So, with the world wars, to everybody, people are dying. People are missing. People just aren't found. It felt like the end of the world to a lot of people. You go a little bit earlier than that, 20, 30 years, you have World War One. Now, World War One, you had conditions in World War One in Europe, especially in Great Britain, where... Uh, you had entire villages, like the young men of the entire village, would all sign up. They would all be buddies, and they were all put into the uh, same unit. Well, that unit, right, that division, that battalion, that company, that would all be put into a battle at the same time, of course, because it's one unit. It would get wiped out. 
you'd have an entire village youth wiped out in a day or two during a four-year war. You can't recover from that. Villages went without men. The women had to leave and go find a man um, to marry, to procreate, to enjoy basic life, to date, right? Jobs of the place all of a sudden are open and people had to work longer, meaning you couldn't retire as early because there weren't enough men to fill the spot. Not only that, but you had a flu that happens right at the end of World War One that helped stop World War One, And that was uh, the Spanish flu. Now, it didn't originate in Spain. Um, it originated, uh, depending upon which sources you read again, and this is what you're going to see um, from this podcast. We look at multiple sources, and I'm not going to sit here and cite every single source. There's just too many to cite. A lot of it's from memory, from what I've read, either like way back in the past or, um, you know, in, in researching this from five, six, ten different sources. But depending upon the source that you're looking at, right, it originated in either France, America, or China. And the point is, is that um, they still didn't know, and they still don't know now where, who, where it originated and why it originated there. And the reason that it's called the Spanish flu is because it was happening during World War I, near the end. And everybody that was in the war, in World War I is what we're talking about, everybody that was in the war censored their papers. So the U.S. censored, Britain censored, France censored, Germany censored. And so they had people dying of flu in the country, both militarily and, civ- and civilly, and they weren't reporting it. But Spain was not in the war, and Spain did not censor their papers. And so because they were free and open to talk about it, Everybody knew that it came from Spain. They're the only ones talking about it, therefore it must come from them. So it's called the Spanish flu. So what's the point? Well, the Spanish flu over a course of 18 months to two years killed around 110 to 120 million people. This is on top of the tens of millions that died in World War I. So you're looking and... The disease itself didn't target what normal diseases target. Normal diseases target the weak, right? Who are the weak in any herd, in any population, right? The weak are the old, the frail, the young, right? Those are the immune systems. Those are the bodies that are either run down or just getting started. And they haven't built up immunity or do not have the health, the health to deal with that going on, right? So we're looking at that, and the Spanish flu attacked the exact opposite. It attacked those with healthy immune systems. Well, who have the healthy immune systems? You're looking at people from about age 16 to age 30, maybe 40, if you stretch it. You're talking about the young of a society. These are the people that are in school, creating careers, creating jobs, graduating. They're becoming the brain power, the manpower, the labor of a country. And so you have a generation that is ravaged 
with swine, not swine flu, but Spanish flu, and ravaged with World War One. This is where the saying, um, the lost generation came from, is because this, this happened. So we're going to be looking, so we've just looked at the Spanish flu quickly and how it affected. Now what did the people do for the Spanish flu? There was no quarantine. There was not a mass quarantine. If you had it, yes, you were to be quarantined. You yourself was to be put in a place where nobody really contacted you. But it acted just like the flu. So until you had those signs that said this was a little more serious than regular flu, um, you were, depending upon which source you're looking at or, or who's telling the story, um, either you were treated normally or you were treated with panic and then sent to, uh, like, you know, like a personal quarantine, like your room, you stayed there, somebody took care of you, that type of thing. <clears throat> Whereas we today, we did the entire country. We quarantined an entire country so that people would not get this disease and die. Now, from a logical position of a, say, disease specialist, what is the best way to not catch a disease? Or what's the best way to survive a disease? The best way to survive a disease is to not catch the disease, right? So if we all could live in plastic bubbles, we're not going to catch the disease, therefore not catching the disease, therefore we are not going to die from it. It makes sense. But was it the right choice? My opinion on that, we're going to look at this, but I'll look at this with you in the different diseases. So let's go back and let's look at these different diseases. Um, there have been, so we're going back to pandemics and epidemics. Um, there was a village in China that 5,000 years ago, the epidemic wiped out the prehistoric village. It was found um, by archaeologists, of course, but um, the uh, bodies of those were stuffed inside houses and later burned. No age group was spared. All of the skeletons were juveniles, young adults, middle-aged people. They were all found inside the house. Um, they don't know what kind of disease this is. And as I go through these, you're going to see this as, in some cases, the way it is. They don't know what it was, what the disease was. It just was a disease, and for whatever reason, it stopped. Right? Let me move on to the plague of Athens. 400 B.C., 430 B.C. Um, there was a epidemic that ravaged the people of Athens that lasted for approximately five years and killed as many as 100,000 people. Now, in a time where cities were no, not really bigger than 10, 20, 30,000, 100,000 people dying, like Athens, um, would have been beyond huge. Beyond huge. Right? But, um, uh, through society, Thucydides, how do you say that? Thucydides, there we go, Thucydides, um, 
wrote that people in good health were all of a sudden attacked by violent heats in the head, so a fever, and redness and inflammation of the eyes. Okay, The inward parts, such as the throat or tongue, becoming bloody and emitting an unnatural and fetid breath. So what was it? Nobody knows. They've put forward possibilities of things like typhoid fever and Ebola. Well, imagine being in a city of 100, 200, 300,000, or in a city-state of 500,000, maybe a million, and 100,000 people die. If there are five people in your room right now, one of them is dead. All right? Right now, coronavirus is killing 0.02%. Um, according to one source, according to a, uh, a Swedish study of people, 0.02, right? To get to two people dying, you would have to move the decimal point two spots. So you're looking at two in 10,000? Maybe, yeah, two in 10,000 are dying. That means of your school of 50,000 people, your college, right? Like Ohio State, Michigan, Florida, Alabama, etc. You're looking at, let's see, six, eight, ten people dying from it, right? You may not even know who it is, but we'll continue on. There's the Antonin Plague. Of 165 to 180 AD. In this plague, it killed, or may have killed, over 5 million people in the Roman Empire. Roman Empire had between 30 and 60 million people. So you're looking at 1 in 5 to 1 in 10. 1 in 12. Okay? Um, They believe that it was just a plague that was brought from returning soldiers. Um, from the war against Parthia. Once again, no explanation of what kind of plague it was. There was the plague of Cyprian, 250-271, named after St. Cyprian, a British, uh, bishop of Carthage, who described the epidemic as signaling the end of the world, part of the theme. End of the world. Oh, it's so horrible. It's the end of the world. No, it is exactly what the human condition is, the human situation. We are a people, we are a species on this planet that deals in ups and downs. Ups and downs can come in many different forms and shapes. France, during the Middle Ages, had this massive boom and bust in population where the farming and the crops and the wheat and everything would come in abundance and everything was perfect and they were the breadbasket of Europe and everybody took wheat from France. And then there would be bad years, and all of a sudden the population of France would drop by a million. That's a million deaths because of starvation, right? That same type of starvation from that boom and bust of population uh, helped start the uh, French Revolution directly. Combined with corruption, the French... How do you say? Combined with the corruption of the French officials of the time, especially under the king, 
um, bad crops, corruption, you couldn't get anything to anybody. People died of starvation, right? The description of the plague of uh, the Cyprian, the Cyprian plague, right? We're looking at um, the bowels relax into a constant flux, discharge the bodily strength, and a fire originated in the marrow ferments into wounds of, of the uh, area around the mouth. I don't know what that disease, disease is. I'm not an epidemiologist. But, and my point about that is that it will pass. Right? You have the plague of Cyprian that lasted 19 years. The Antonin plague, 15 years. Right? The plague of Athens was only one year. You have the plague of Justinian. It lasted one year, almost two. And it killed around 10% of the population of the Byzantine Empire. It itself was the bubonic plague. This is where we get the name plague. They just straight up called it plague or black death. You then had the black death uh, 800 years later between 1346 and 1353. And this is a massive one. This one is the black death that came from the fleas on rats on the ships of traders. It killed depending upon the sources again you're looking at, it killed anywhere between one and two-thirds of the population. That means if you're a family of three, you've lost your kid and you've lost your wife, or you've lost your parents. If you're a family of six, you've lost everybody except one sibling or your wife or something of that nature. Right? This is where all of the pictures, the paintings, the posters, the everything of death. This is where Ring Around the Rosies, uh, Children's Rhyme, comes in. We're looking at plagues. We're looking at moments where people had to deal with a tragic disease in their life that made it feel like the end of the world. This disease, though, as a pandemic sweeping over the country, lasted from 1346 to 1353. Now, why did this happen in, in such horrific numbers like this? Why did the fleas on rats spread so fast? There's a couple of things here that can teach us. Number one, the climate started changing. It went from what is called the mid... Uh, the Middle Ages warming, right, to the mini ice age. And so the Middle Ages warming, where they were growing um, grapes in Scotland, to where you can't even grow grapes in southern England, caused people now, instead of having more open homes, windows open, um, animals outside, it caused them to bring animals inside the house, and live with their animals, not only for protection, but also for warmth. Because you can't afford plunder the countryside of wood to be able to warm the house all night, every night. And so body warmth was a big way to stay warm. The next thing is that the Pope at the time declared cats of the devil and demon spawn and ordered them to be killed. So you have the natural predators of the very animals that are carrying this disease that would have killed or scared away them from the major populations. And these rats ran through 
and came into contact with humans. The next thing, and just so you don't think this is like Eurocentric or something, right? You have the uh, Kokolitsli uh, epidemic of 1545 to 1548. This was an infection that caused the epidemic as a, in a form of viral um, hemorrhagic fever that killed 15 million inhabitants of Mexico and Central America. Now you have to realize these are people that have already come in contact with Europeans. They've already dealt with a lot of the European diseases. So they've boomed back. And now, all of a sudden, again, 15 million people dead. The DNA study found that, the, that uh, they found um, species or victims that they were infected with a subspecies of salmonella known as S. paratyphi C which causes enteric fever, a category of fever that includes typhoid. Enteric fever can cause high fever, dehydration, and gastrointestinal problems and is still a major health threat today. Enteric fever, not this subspecies of salmonella. But that lasted three years. Now, we're running long. We're going over this. It's big. There's many plagues. But if we, we look at this, um, the... American plagues lasted approximately 20 years, now uh, 15. Went from around the time that Cortes conquered the Aztecs in, in uh, 1519, 1520, to the time that uh, Pizarro conquers the uh, Incas in 1532, 1533. In fact, the reason Pizarro was able to conquer the Incas so easily is because um, smallpox basically killed everybody before him. Before he was able to get there, it killed him. And it stops both empires from resisting European invasion. We'll stop there on the plagues. But my point of what we're looking at with flus, with other things, let me, let me make a special mention to uh, um, polio. Polio started around 1916 and f ended in 1954. People still got polio but the vaccine became widely available in 1954 you're looking at a 40-year pandemic that seemed to occur sporadically in the United States and they finally got the vaccine let's move on to a modern day one swine flu swine flu happened in 2009 and went to 2010 it was a flu that came out of Mexico that I remember when this came out people thought it came from China it was reported as the Chinese flu just like avian flu came out of China they corrected it later as coming out of Mexico and in the spring of 2009 is when it uh, spread to the rest of the world in one year the virus infected as many as 1.4 billion people across the globe killing between 150 to uh, 575,000 people. More people in the United States have been in touch and gotten swine flu than ever will get the coronavirus, if we get a vaccine for the coronavirus. But the coronavirus, my point about that is the coronavirus may be here to stay. The H1N1 may be here to stay. We may all be getting it right now. Don't even know it because our bodies are kicking it off. Now the point now, that's the past. Let's talk about the present. The coronavirus in the present is what this has all started, is what we're looking at. 
So what is the coronavirus? The coronavirus is basically a flu. It's not the flu, but it's acting a lot like the flu in, in, in the way it's uh, um, spreading, in the way that it attacks. If you look at the symptoms, the symptoms are basically the symptoms of the flu. You're looking at fever, cough, chill, shortness of breath, fatigue, muscle aches, headache, loss of taste and smell, sore throat, congestion, runny nose, nausea, diarrhea. I mean, that's the flu, just a different type. Now, is it just a different type, different type? No. Yes, no. It's doing the exact same thing to your body. It's a little different. But you're looking at, you know, approximately 37 confirmed million, 37 million confirmed worldwide cases with 1 million deaths. Now, here's the problem of the total cases between that, you know, that's 1 in 37. Percentage-wise, you're looking at about 2%. But that's the problem is that it's confirmed cases and those deaths aren't confirmed deaths of coronavirus. They're confirmed deaths of those that had coronavirus at the same time. Now, why am I talking about that? Well, if we could look back and we remember what I was talking about attacking people that had good immune systems, this does the exact opposite. This attacks people who do not have good immune systems. And this, in fact, attacks people who are older and have what's called comorbidity. Now, what's comorbidity? Comorbidity is when you have multiple disorders in your health. Multiple disorders in your health would be things like diabetes, lung disease, heart disease. I mean, you know, take any of these lists that I'm about to do of lung disease, heart disease, uh, liver disease, um, diabetes, cancer. I mean, the list is huge, right? If you have two of those or one of those combined with coronavirus, you have comorbidity, right? It also includes the mental condition. What is the mental condition that I'm talking about? I'm talking depression and anxiety is comorbidity in a mental disorder. Anxiety is worrying about the future and not being able to control your worries about the future. And depression is um, worrying about the past and not being able to control your worries about the past. You look back in time and you go, why did I do that? Why did that happen? You look forward in the future and go, oh my gosh, it's going to be the worst. We can't do it. So comorbidity is massive. Now, why do I mention comorbidity? Because a big thing that people are talking about right now when it comes to President Trump's um, reaction or proaction or action in general about this pandemic have to deal with could he have prevented the deaths? Why does America, and part of proof of, of him not doing enough, is that America has the highest rate of deaths for um, the developed world, right? And the developed world here basically is people with running water, electricity, good schools, good hospitals, that type of thing. You're looking at Western civilization. When you listen to the radio or the news, you're, you're sitting there talking about uh, things like um, the first world versus the third world, that type of thing, right? Why does America have the greatest problem? And I'll tell you why America has the greatest problem. They have the largest obesity problem on the planet. And it's not the largest, 
that's a little exaggerated. But if we go through, um, and according to BritannicaProCon.org, and with them citing the uh, most recent data available from the World Health Organization, as of March 26, 2020, Vietnam is the least obese country with 2.1, and the United States is the most obese at 36.2. Now, obese is not fat. It is, but, it, you know, you don't look at a fat person and say they're obese. They have to have a certain level of fat to be obese, right? There's overweight, where you're a person that's fat, right? You have a certain body percentage of your body is fat. And then you have obese, and that's a bigger level of fat, right? And then you have morbidly obese, and that's where you are really fat, Right, we're talking orca huge here. And we're not really talking orca huge for serious, but we're talking about people that are big. It's obvious they're big. It's not like, oh yeah, they're a little husky, or oh, they're carrying a little weight, or oh, they need to go on a diet. No, these people need to get something going and they need to fix it because they do have problems. And the reason I point this out is that obesity or heavy weight, being overweight and obese, it causes comorbidity. People who are obese or fat or large or big boned, however you want to put it, right? But let's be a little gentle here. They're obese. They're overweight. These people are going to have or create problems for themselves when it comes to their health. They're going to have heart disease. They're going to have um, blood pressure problems, right? Hypertension. They're going to have... Um, a breathing problem because they haven't been working out their cardiovascular system and so they are going to breathe heavy or shallow and many times they're going to run out of breath right they can't go upstairs without breathing hard or breaking into a sweat they're going to have you know organ problems because of the hypertension whether it be kidneys liver lung heart um, they're going to have gastrointestinal problems of some kind. Obese people have a higher rate of cancer. So what we're looking at is a people that in America, 36.2% are obese, meaning their fat level is so high, we now call them obese. Not overweight, we call them obese. 30, that's one third of the American population. Look around, you find 6, 10, 20, 100 people, one third of them right? Your family of three, one of them's fat. That is the one that is going to have the hardest time with this disease. And people who don't turn it around fast enough in their life with their obesity, they can have permanent problems because of their obesity, because of their weight. These permanent problems translate into comorbidity when it comes to the coronavirus. So when you add a disease that preys upon people in coronavirus that have a weakened immune system because of diseases and other things like that, combined with the affluence of America, where America doesn't just sit at home to do everything or stay in their little village or their own little section of the town. They actually travel around the town. It's called a commute to get to work you're going to have a higher rate of infection and then you're going to have a higher rate of death. It's that simple. 
So what are we looking at for the future? We know about the present. Anybody that's been sitting there looking at the news and you can't avoid the news no matter what. Doesn't matter how hard you try, everybody is talking about it. So how do you, in the future, how do we take care of this problem for the future? Well, number one, we've got to focus on our health. You have to focus on getting those things and taking care of those things in your life that are going to let you be the healthiest person you can be. And I'm not talking the healthiest person you can be while you shove down a Big Mac, large fry, and large Coke. Right? I'm talking about the healthiest you can be because you've decided that you're going to try to be, you know, a, a football player at age 45. You've decided that you're going to outdo Arnold Schwarzenegger at 60 in his 20s. Or you're 60 and he's in his 20s. Right? I'm talking about you're going to get yourself healthy. Not just thin, not just not fat, but you're going to get healthy. We need to get to a point where our immune systems, our bodies, are at a level that diseases, because diseases overall always prey upon weak immunities, except for the um, anomaly of the of, uh, Spanish flu. We need to get ourselves into a position as Americans, as humans, to where we are healthy, right? How do we do that? We have to take responsibility for ourselves. We can't say to the government, hey, take care of us, do this, regulate that. Why can't we? Well, because government is owned by people. And I don't mean owned in the sense of, of corruption, although there is corruption. I'm talking owned in the sense of people have biases. People want to get reelected. People want to um, do what they consider the best for their country, but not only the country, more importantly, their constituency, because those are the people that elect them, right? I'll give you an example. Um, if you look at most packaging in America nowadays, it tells you what percentage of your daily diet that event is, right? So not event, but that uh, um, item is. So it'll be like, oh, yeah, this is a 200 calorie per serving thing. And that is one-tenth of what you're supposed to be eating um, on a 2,000-calorie diet. These percentages that follow will go along with that. And that's a little asterisk usually that goes to the bottom of the package or the label that shows what's in it. And it'll tell you fat content, you know, 10% of your daily diet. And it'll give you the grams, like 75 grams fat and, and things like that. And look at sugar. Sugar doesn't have a percentage. Right? You get a soda, a soda is 71 grams of sugar. Okay, how much percentage of that is what I'm supposed to eat? It doesn't tell you. Having looked around and everything, I can tell you that the amount of sugar you're supposed to or allowed to or should allow yourself to is around 5 grams of sugar. Right? Now start looking at your packaging. How many things don't have sugar? So if you're sitting there looking at trying to make a health conscious decision a lot of packaged foods are treats they're they're that one thing a week or that one thing a day maybe i would stick to the one thing a week that you can eat and enjoy and then everything else should be as whole food or wholesome or 
or organic or whatever they can be without having things like sugar or massive amounts of salt. Or be, and the reason I say this is because we know that too much of these things start causing problems. Too much salt gives you high blood pressure. Too much sugar causes fat. Too much fat causes heart disease. Now, you don't need to cut these things out completely, but making it so that you're eating a more healthy diet definitely is going to take these things away, and these things need to be watched carefully so that you don't have these problems in the future, so that we as a people don't have these problems in the future. right? And that's where we ourselves have to take our own personal responsibility because you can't go to the government and say, yes, don't get yourself voted in again to be able to save my life because I personally am too stupid to care about myself enough to learn the things that I need to learn in order to be healthy. That's basically what it is. Our personal responsibility. Then, once we are all personally responsible and once these companies that are poisoning us with too much sugar or too much salt or too much fat or bad chemicals or whatever the heck your your personal gripe is with processed foods or or food companies in general or or the FDA or whatever it is right once these things are done once these companies are out of business or once they've decided that they're no longer going to make these products then we can start having laws or then we can start having different conversations because we've all made the personal responsible choice of being healthy of shunning those items if we're all sitting here going yeah i need to be healthy and putting a twinkie down a day is the people that make twinkies gonna uh stop no now just for the record i love twinkies and i could eat probably a dozen a day and still be a happy person but i would be a fat person eventually it would catch up to me i would be fat but i love twinkies but i'm just saying we have to be personally responsible. And that's the biggest part. The next part is we have to have a more concise plan on what to do for a pandemic. It can't be some idea of some doctor or some politician somewhere that says, okay, yeah, the way we're going to get past this is nobody go anywhere. Because guess what? More people have died from suicide than from the coronavirus. More people have died from not going to the hospital when they should have because they weren't diagnosed with the cancer early enough or they weren't diagnosed with some other disease early enough or they just ignored it and because they didn't get diagnosed or didn't get treatment because of this coronavirus shutdown, they died. More people are being abused. More alcoholism is going. More overdoses are happening. Because of the depression that happens of doing nothing. Most people, and when I mean most people, I'm talking 99% of the people in the world, cannot just sit at home, play video games, and still have a normal conversation or life. Even these kids that can sit there and play video games all day, not see a person, they come out warped. And almost all of them that do these games or videos or anything like that, right, have to have some kind of interpersonal communication, no matter how shallow that communication is. 
in in the um, in gaming in the gaming world that interpersonal communication is things like MMOs, right? Multiple massive online games. Is that what it is? Multiple massive massive multiple player online game where there's hundreds of thousands if not millions of people playing the same game so then you're sitting there you're playing a game and people are coming to you and you're talking to them you know either with voice chat or typing and and you're like hey how's it going oh you have an interpersonal communication it's not person to person in the sense of face to face right but you're actually talking to somebody in the, in the sense of multimedia, we see things like TikTok have taken off. Where everybody seems to all of a sudden be on TikTok doing all sorts of videos that I didn't even know existed until this pandemic started. I knew TikTok existed, but the only people that I saw doing TikTok or heard about people doing TikTok was some like high school students. Where you got a bunch of high school girls like going, hey, look at me, I can dance too. Dance, dance, dance. And now we got like 50 and 60 year old people all like, hey, look at us. We're all dancing. Oh, look at this. We're all doing this. The whole spectrum just for that interpersonal communication, just to be a little sane. So we have to do things that stop this from happening, right? We have to understand that when they say, okay, look, we have a new disease out. The new disease attacks people. We don't know how yet. So let's, you know, it's time to break into pandemic mode. What's pandemic mode? Okay, now we know we all have to have masks with us. We all know that maybe we should have hand sanitizer with us of some kind, some sanitary wipes. What else? Don't touch each other at that point. But a concise plan starts with the individuals because you can't have government-mandated stuff. Look at it now. We have states that have like said, okay, yeah, you can't go to church. You can't go to school. You can't go to whatever, right? You have to wear masks. Do people still wear masks? Nope. Do people stop going to church? Nope. Do people stop uh, going to school? Yeah, because kids don't want to go to school. But guess what? They're still trying to find education. And parents are still begging and pleading and screaming to have their child educated. What are you going to have? If schools don't figure out exactly how to get content across in these uh, states that are still shut down, Right? You're going to have a generation of students that will be one year behind. Which means in the high school level, you're going to have a generation of students that have decided not to participate. Because instead of staying in school all the way up until age 19 or 20, they're just going to drop out. So now you're going to have a generation, or at least a year or two, of students or of the population that is not high school educated, at the least. It's going to destroy the economy. So to sum up, this isn't the end of the world. It's happened before. It's happened at least 20 times before. We're going to get through it and survive. We're going to get ourselves out of this. We have to take personal responsibility. And we have to be the people that make the change. A lot of people think, oh yeah, we can't make change. But they're afraid to go back into the past and accidentally step on a butterfly because somehow in the future it's going to cause catastrophe. It's going to change everything. Well, guess what? Step on a butterfly today. Well, don't step on a butterfly. I like butterflies. But you know what I'm saying. Do something today that's going to change somebody's life in just the smallest way. 
and make it happen for yourself. This is the Bronze Compass Podcast. You are you, and I am Matthew, signing off.